Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 200 of The Informed Catholic of 2020. Episode 200 of The Informed Catholic of the year 2020. Now, before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would be a great help. Uh, the more numbers would be a great help because it would let all the podcast platforms know that you like to listen to this podcast. And if you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share and let your friends know. And uh, well, now we're entering, we are in Advent. We just went past the first Sunday of Advent. And in the last episode, I read the gospel passage for the first Sunday of Advent of the year 2020. It's we're now we're now in, in year B, the second cycle. Uh, we have like a three cycles. They call it year A, year B, year C. I kind of really dislike that because it sounds so uh, secular and technical. But, you know, this is how the church does it uh, for now. Uh, but anyway, the readings themselves are important. But what exactly does Advent mean? Now we tend to think of it as a preparation for Christmas, and it is. But theologically, what does it mean? And what are we as Catholics, how are we supposed to apply it to our spiritual and daily religious life, our, our, day, our uh, liturgical life? Because there's something called the liturgical life of the church, and we as members of the of the mystical body of Christ, especially the church militant, which means the people on earth on their way to heaven, have each one a relationship with the liturgy. We receive the body and blood of Christ. We experience the life of Christ in the liturgy. And we also supposed to be a sacramental people, meaning a people who live by the sacrament, in the sacrament, and for the sacrament, which is the, you know, the, the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Well, I have a prayer book called Blessed Trinity, Book of Catholic Prayers, and I like it because it has a very um, good, direct, orthodox uh, approach to it. Devotions for the liturgical seasons of the year, it starts with Advent. The four weeks of Advent are set apart by the church to commemorate the ages that intervened between the fall of our first parents and the birth of Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas. All right. Did you see that? It starts off with uh, Advent goes, looks back and commemorates the fall of our parent, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and the birth of Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas. It is a season of special prayer and penance mingled with joyful expectation and calculated to fit our souls for a worthy keeping of this great solemnity. Advent is also the beginning of the ecclesiastical year. All right. The start, the beginning of the church life of the year. Advent is a whole new beginning. All right. Um, and as each succeeding year brings us closer to the second coming of Christ as judge of the world, 
And this holy time is likewise intended to make us ready to meet our judge. All right, so as a Catholic, as an individual Catholic, I explore Advent, I look back, I'm supposed to be familiar with um, the Word of God, with salvation history, okay? The fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who were seduced by the devil, all right, disobeyed God, and all of humanity in them, we as individuals in them, uh, conceived in a state of sin, except for the Virgin Mary, who whose soul was set apart and preserved from that fall. All right. So then it begins the the great saga to reach the t coming of Christ. God reaching out to humanity uh, through the descendants of Adam and Eve. You know, starting with Adam, Adam's uh, sons, all the individual characters we read in the book of Genesis, uh, Enoch who walked with God and was and had a, and had a great relationship with God, and he was taken up, and then with Noah, the covenant made with God made with Noah, and the flood washing away, cleansing the earth, a symbol of conversion, uh, redemption, washing away the sins. And then Noah's descendants again, but unfortunately, because sin still followed the descendants, Noah is a descendant of Adam, and all the descendants of Noah, the symbol of the ark is a symbol of the church, the symbol of the flood is a symbol of baptism. And then going on from there, God reaching out to Adam, I mean, to Abraham, right? And then the covenant God made with Abraham, Abraham's sons, uh, his um Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's descendants, and then with Moses and the nation of Israel, the Ten Commandments and the Covenant, and then going on from there with David, and then finally we go through, you know, we're going through all the prophets, and then we're reaching the time of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, the incarnation. Now the word, now God is among us, God with us, Emmanuel. So this is salvation history and we should be familiar with it and it should be part of our lives. We should we pray this in the rosary with the you know uh, the passion of uh, the life of Christ and we have the joyful mysteries. We have also the uh, the gift that John Paul gave us through his pontificate the luminous mysteries. I know some people dispute it but I think it's it's worth meditating on and praying. Uh, because Saint Louis de Montfort, the the great uh, apostle of the Rosary, uh, who, um, in his uh, consecration to true devotion to Mary, he f believes that you can focus on any of the mysteries of the gospel because it shouldn't be just fifteen. A lot of people are very very um, believe that it should be just the fifteen mysteries, joyful. Uh, sorrowful and glorious, uh, but I think you can fit it in. I think I think um, the, all, you know it makes sense to have the luminous mysteries. But you know if that's what some people choose, I'm not going to argue with them because their devotion is uh, of the rosary is theirs. But let's 
go on from here. Let's begin with the um, this prayer for Advent in this uh, prayer book. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you, fear not, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens from above, and let the clouds rain, the just one. Let us pray. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when, when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. All right. So now we did that. Let's go to. This is from yesterday, which I wish I, I did it earlier. But you know what? As they say. Better late than never, right? Okay, this is year B reading. We're starting from Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 63. This is for 2020. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a reading from the Holy Book of Prophet Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Sounds familiar, right? You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer. You are named forever. Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servant, the tribes of your heritage. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down with the mountains quaking before you while you wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for, such as they had not heard from of old. No ear has ever heard, no eye has ever seen, any God but you, doing such deeds for those who wait for him. Would that you might, would that you might meet us doing right, that we were mindful of you in our ways. Behold, you are angry and we are sinful. All of us have become like unclean people. All our good deeds are like polluted rags. We have all withered like leaves and our guilt carries us away like the wind. There is none who calls upon your name who rouses himself to cling to you, for you have hidden your face from us. You have delivered us up to, you, to our guilt. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you the potter. We are all the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now for the responsorial psalm, Psalm 80, Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. 
O shepherd of Israel, hearken. From your throne upon the cherubim shine forth, rouse your power, and come to save us. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine and protect what your right hand has planted. The Son of Man, whom you yourself made strong. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. May your help be with the man of your right hand, with the Son of Man, whom you yourself made strong. Then we will no more withdraw from you. Give us new life, and we will call upon your name. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. Second reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, his first letter to the book of Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 1, verse 3 to 9. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. We wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus, that in him you were enriched in every way and with all discourse and all knowledge, as the testimony to Christ was was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end, irre irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and by him you were called to fellowship with the Son, with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Show us, Lord, your love and grant us your salvation. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 13, verse 33 to 37. Be watchful. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, you do not know when the Lord of hosts is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. The Gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so now uh, we, here, this is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Let's check this out here. All right, this is from um, part one. The Preparations, Article 522, The Mystery of Jesus' Infancy and Hidden Life. The coming of God's Son to earth 
is an event of such immensity that God will to prepare it over centuries. He makes everything converge on Christ. All the rituals and sacrifices, figures and symbols of the first covenant. He announces him through the mouths of the prophets who succeeded one another in Israel. Moreover, he awakens in the hearts of the pagans a dim expectation of his coming. Now, Article 50, 523, St. John the Baptist is the Lord's immediate precursor or forerunner, sent to prepare his way. Prophet of the Most High, John surpasses all the prophets of whom he is the last. He inaugurates the gospel. Already from his mother's womb, welcomes the coming of Christ and rejoices in, in being the friend of the bridegroom, whom he points out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Going before Jesus in the spirit of the, and the power of the prophet Elijah, John bears witness to Christ in his, in his preaching by his baptism of conversion and through his martyrdom. Article 524, when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expe uh, expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desires. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, this is uh, from my missal, and this is a quote from St. Charles Barramero, Charles, St. Charles Barramero, Advent season. And here it has the quote, uh, which we just read from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, 35 37. Watch, watch. Now, this is a quote. Now, it, now is the acceptable time spoken of by the Spirit, the day of salvation, peace and reconciliation, the great season of Advent. Each year, as the Church recalls this mystery, she urges us to renew the memory of the great love God has shown us. This holy season teaches us that Christ's coming was not only for the benefit of his contemporaries, for the people of his day. His power has still to be communicated to us all. We shall share his power if through holy faith and the sacraments we willingly accept the grace of Christ, uh, Christ earned for us and live by that grace and in obedience to Christ. When we remove all obstacles to his presence, he will come at any hour and moment to dwell spiritually in our hearts, bringing with him the riches of his grace. So, as I said, it's a sacramental life. And part of it is most important part. The most important part is the Eucharist. The body and blood and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Because remember, Emmanuel, God with us. 
God with us. He is still present. Remember like the story of the road to Emmaus when the two disciples were walking and then Jesus appeared to them, but they didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't know it was him. And as they thought it was a stranger and he began to open and explain the scriptures to them, beginning with Moses and all through the Psalms and the prophets. And when they sat in the inn, he took bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread and their eyes were opened and he disappeared. And what was it that they learned? We knew him in the breaking of the bread. Jesus gave the, the, the priests, the successors to the apostles, the power to make him present, to make our Lord present in the sacrament at, on the altar. Jesus himself said in the gospel of John chapter six, he who eats my bread, drinks my blood will live forever. And he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And so through the scriptures, through the prayers, the rosary, all the rituals that we learn. And this is something I was, I think I said in the last podcast, people want something important. Human beings, we are ritualistic creatures. It's the way God designed us. We have rituals and we have certain traditions that give meaning to our lives. The secular world wants to take that away from us. And then we become in, in, insignificant because the new radical secularism does not see us as individuals. It sees us as numbers. And a lot of times, uh, I think this is why a lot of people are turning to um, traditions, sacred traditions, customs, practices, because it also helps people psychologically. I think it also helps people deal with depression because, you know, we feel so marginalized, especially now with this pandemic, we are extremely marginalized. Our everyday living, you know, seems meaningless. And we have a lot of times people have constant fear. Prayers and reading of the scriptures and participating in, I think, church life. And I think the fact is we need to develop more of that community people before you know the village used to be built around the church used to be built around it everything was built because that was the spiritual center that was the life of the people at one time the church was the life of the people in ancient israel the life of the people uh was the temple now people of course that everybody lived close to the temple people also had a synagogue they used to attend every saturday and the synagogue and the reading of the scriptures helped people. It basically helped to connect with God individually and as a community and as a nation. These rituals helped help them. It helped them daily. The reading of the Psalms, the daily prayer life, you know, the liturgical prayer life, the liturgical prayer, prayer life in there every day. You know, and on the Sabbath, 
it helped it helped them it helped they helped them to deal with with everyday problems to face all the challenges both uh tem- personal temptations personal sinful struggle uh, struggles national sinful struggles community struggles everything these things become and it isn't that you just also recite these things or practice these things uh empty but you build every moment of your life and you grow as an individual. You encounter God every moment of your life. And I think people are starting to realize how bad the secular life is, how bad, and no one cares about you. Okay, secularism does not care about the individual. You are just a number, a serial number to them, a catalog number, a tax number. And I think what happened is, is a lot of this stuff invaded the church because a lot of our priests, our bishops, and our Pope, unfortunately, want to be liked by the rest of the world. They want to find some common ground. They have lost. I mean, this happens. Remember, the apostles abandoned Christ. Always remember. You think, well, these are supposed to be priests. Yes, but they are human beings first. And human beings, as human beings, they can make bad personal judgment. If you if you're not strong with the faith, you're gonna and, and you're gonna be weak. If you know you go in there with idealistic kind of thinking, idealistic kind of life uh, approaches, you go in, you go in there with the philosophy of the world, unless with the mindset of Christ, you're going to basically fail. All right, Stalin himself, when he wanted to, he decided to infiltrate the church in Russia. He wanted weak men, weak men who are weak in their bodies and their minds, psychologically and physically, meaning that they're they're addicted to sexual perversion. And then you, uh, he says, you know, he will able to control the church because these men are weak anyway. But if a man is strong in his faith, if an individual, he or she is strong in their faith, that's impossible to control because that person is strong and grounded in their faith. A good a good way to look at uh, yourself when you think of when you're struggling with personal sins, especially pornography. I've heard a priest said once, try to imagine looking at yourself. Try to imagine looking at yourself. With in, in, a, in practicing these sinful acts, how pathetic do you think you're going to look to yourself? So imagine yourself looking at pornography. Imagine yourself committing an act, a sinful act. And if it feels embarrassing, if you think you would be embarrassed, imagine being seen by somebody, someone. So think how pathetic you may look to yourself. How little and how weak you may look to yourself. So imagine how you may look to God. And you don't want to be seen that way. So think of it that way. I remember hearing a priest say once, I can't remember who it was. I think it was on, I know it was on YouTube. It might have been in Census Fidaeum. But it, the point is, just imagine what that how how you look. Now, 
you're admiring a, a a photo of a of a beautiful woman or let's say maybe you might be you might have same sex attraction and you're um masturbating to an image think to yourself does that person who you have made into a pagan idol care about you let me be more severe give a damn about you no they don't. You've idolized them. Your imagination and, you know, your maybe loneliness, your uh, weakness has idolized them. And the devil has used your weakness, your imagination, your weak, your weak resistance. And you become a slave. You become a slave to passions, uncontrolled passions, undisciplined passions, because you have, you don't have the grace to fight this. It is difficult. I know, but we are all human beings and just understand this is that sin is enslavement. Sin is captivity. Sin is a deterioration of the soul. And these are things we, this is why we need graces. We need to build ourselves up with the sacrament. Uh, if we have been baptized and we have been confirmed, we go to confession. Confession is liberation. Confession is saving your soul from hell. You you pray about it. It's not easy. You go to a priest. You don't know. You don't have to go to a priest to your parish. Um, I like going to St. Agnes. Uh, around Grand Central Station. it They have a confessional. The priest is behind there. The priest doesn't see you. He's behind a screen in the wall. There's no contact between the two of you. And you you meditate. You, you go through a process. You build yourself up. I mean, if, you know, you confess, you don't have to give details of everything. But the point is, is to build that relationship with Christ to build your life with Jesus, that you grow. You grow every single day. It's not impossible. Trust me, it is not impossible. And right now, the reason why all this evil, all this shutdown, all this unfortunate, uh, the, these, these things are happening around us is because of sins, the sins of humanity, everybody. Our Lady said to the children of Fatima, we must stop offending our Lord God. You, we have offended him greatly enough as it is. Okay, we are offending him because one of the biggest things that's hurting us is abortion. We're murdering the life of the unborn, stopping souls from coming into the world. Well, God has a way of saving souls. I don't know all the details to it, but I believe that our Lord will show mercy to those unborn. But still, it's not an excuse on our part. Our actions are hurting us. Our politicians with bad religious understanding are hurting us. Our weak priests and weak bishops are hurting us. Okay? It goes right to the top. And we are going to bring more destruction in our world. If you think this pandemic and lockdown is bad, 
and the fact that it gave you know this look at this look how these people are trying to change our world they're, they're calling it the great reset well imagine what the next one will do if we don't repent all right so let me come back with another reading all right so what i read was sunday's reading so this is going to be for today mondays Entrance Antiphon from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Declare to the distant lands, behold, our Savior will come. You need no longer fear. First reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. This cycle is for B and C reading. The Lord will gather all nations into the eternal peace of the kingdom of God. A reading from the holy book of the prophet Isaiah. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations shall stream toward it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways, and we walk in his paths. For from Zion shall come forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and impose terms on many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation shall not rise. One nation shall not rise the sword against another, nor shall they train for war again. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the of the Lord. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Responsorial Psalm is from Psalm 122. And the response is, let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. I rejoice because they said to me, we will go up to the house of the Lord. And now we have set foot within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Jerusalem built as a city with compact unity. To it the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. According to the decree for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, in it are, are set up the judgment seats, seats for the house of David. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you prosper. May peace be within your walls prosperity in your buildings. Let us re go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Because of my relatives and friends, I will say peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pray for your good. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Okay, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. And the uh, Alleluia Antiphon, Alleluia, Alleluia. Come and save us, Lord our God. Let your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. 
Many will come from the east and the west into the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion approached him and appealed to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, suffering dreadfully. He said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion said in reply, Lord, I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will, will be healed. For I too am a man subject to authority with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come here, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Amen, I say to you, in, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west, and will come recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord prays to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I like that. Jesus was amazed. That's, it's, it's always a mystery to try to figure out because I know one of all of all people like Arius wanted to figure, wanted to say that Jesus wasn't God, that he was just a human and maybe entered into God. But, the fact remains is our religion tells us that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. And the the fact that the centurion, that stands out when the centurion said, I am not worthy that you enter under my roof, only say the word and I know he'll be healed. Now, makes you wonder what made him actually believe this about Jesus. He must have heard him preach. He must have heard him on the streets. He must have seen the miracles. He must have been told by others. You know, a, a, a Roman officer, an important Roman officer, had some had all this faith. A Gentile, one who uh, who is occupying the nation of Israel, who is, you know, holding the people under the power of Rome, had this faith, had this kind of faith in the 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 rabbi from Nazareth. You know, and he believed it, and Jesus was amazed by his faith. That and. And, you know, and I mean, I don't know if any of you ever saw the Jesus of Nazareth, a miniseries. You can like get it on Amazon uh, and watch it. Sometimes if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. But it is a, a there's a beautiful scene and the actor Robert Powell playing the role of Jesus. And there's an, an actor, Ernest Bergnine, who plays the role of Centurion. And Ernest Bergnine, he has a very heavy New York accent. But he, you know, he's he's very popular. And there's a, a beautiful film called Marty, where he plays a guy from the Bronx in a post-World War II movie. And it's a very beautiful story. But in the in the in the role, you see this and you see how it shocks many of the Jews in Jesus' day. You got the 
the zealots who want to overthrow Rome, but they're not friends with the Jewish authorities. You got the Pharisees who control the synagogues and interpretation of scripture, the Sadducees who are in charge of the temple, and they're they're also in being controlled the temple, they have power. You know, it's kind of like the Democrats and, you know, uh, and the Republicans. Republicans control the Senate <coughs> and they have the Democrats can control the House, the Congress. And, you know, and you also if you have the president, uh, you know, you, then you have two branches of the, you know, depending on the majority and the, and the minority within both in the Senate and Congress that, you know, that can tell you which party is in charge. But. In Jesus' day, it was very complex because you also had the Herodians, and the Herodians are the ones who represent and support Herod. And they too are friends, or sort of friends with the Romans because Herod gets his authority from Rome. And the high priest has control of the temple, and therefore, but the temple priest, the high priest's office, is appointed by Rome. So you see, it's kind of like, there's, it's a very uneasy situation. And then you have the zealots. I guess you can kind of think of them as Antifa and Black Lives Matter because they, they cause riots and violence on the streets and they want to overthrow Rome and uh, the Sadducees who control the temple. That's dangerous to them because if they overthrow Rome, then that means it's their doom as well and probably will also be the doom of the Pharisees as well. So Jesus came into a world with very much politically divided and socially divided and very like a powder cake like it is now. And yet, along the way, there are people who come to have faith in him. This shows you, you know, and he's saying to people, everyone is welcome to the table. Everyone is welcome to the table. You know, Jew, Gentile, Roman, and the pagans, they're all welcome to the table. They're all welcome to believe in, 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 in Christ and come to his father's table, father's house. So that shows you something. And then, of course, you know, the, the psalm of the psalm, Psalm 122, it's one of my favorite I rejoice because they said to me, we will go up to the house of the Lord. And now we have set foot within your gates of Jerusalem. And, you know, Jerusalem built as a city with compact unity. See how this is something, a psalm that, that, that uh, pilgrims coming from different parts of, of Judea, of the land of Israel, during the time of the, of the temple, during the time of, uh, the years, uh, because there's also obviously a temple, but this is a post-Davidic psalm during a time of Solomon. And the people would sing this, would sing this as they were heading towards the, the festivals, the great Jewish festivals, whether it be Passover or Yom Kippur or something. And their people would sing this as they're walking on the road. And then, of course, you see what Isaiah Going back, you see how Isaiah uh, talks about the time will come when the nations will no longer fight and all will go up to the house of God. 
you know, let us climb to the, you know, this part here. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established in the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations shall stream toward it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways, and we may walk in his paths. So, the prophets have been talking about, and the mountain, the highest mountain, is the church, which, you know, replaced the temple, but is also not just a physical structure, but it's a spiritual, mystical structure, which is established by Christ himself. And, you know, the Psalms foretell that event when everyone will become brother and family especially those who, who, who receive the body and blood of Christ. All of us are baptizing Christ and all of us receive the same body and blood through the altar. And that should wipe away all division and should wipe away all diversity, all obstacles. And we should all be one and we should all realize like, like the centurion we are none of us are worthy that we sh that the Lord shall come under our roof. We say those words during the mass when the priest said, "Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are all who come to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you shall come under my roof, but you should say the word, and my soul shall be healed. So you see, we are all in Christ, and none of us are different. All right, that's that part. Let me pick up an article now. So I'll, I will try to pick out articles uh, and then other theological articles for Advent season as much as possible so that we could, you know, both from the catechism of the Catholic Church and maybe sermons on Advent by the Church Fathers so we can better understand it, how to apply it to our lives. This is an article. It's by Mary Fairchild, and she updated this article September 7th, 2020. It's from Learn Religions, Abrahamic Middle Eastern Christianity. What is Advent? Learn the meaning, origin, and custom of Advent. All right. By Mary Fairchild, September 7th, 2020. Celebrating Advent involves spending time in spiritual preparation for the coming of coming of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas. In Western Christianity, the season of Advent begins on the fourth Sunday prior to Christmas Day or the Sunday which falls closest to November 30th and lasts through Christmas Eve or December 24th. What is Advent? Advent is a period of spiritual preparation in which many Christians make themselves ready for the coming or birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrating Advent typically involves a season of prayer, fasting, and repentance, followed by anticipation, hope, and joy. Uh, it's kind of looked on as a mini Lent. Let's put it that way. Where there's like six week preparation for Easter, for Advent, it's a mini Lent. And they usually 
Taylor Marshall says people would fast Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in the early church uh, prior from, from the to the year 1000. After that, it kind of gotten lessened a little bit, but the early Christians took it more seriously than, let's say, um, after Constantine's time. All right. Many Christians celebrate Advent not only by thanking God for Christ's first coming to earth as a baby, but also for his presence among us today through the Holy Spirit and in preparation and anticipation of his final coming at the end of the age. Advent meaning. The word Advent comes from the Latin term Adventus, meaning arrival, or we, or we say in advance, or coming, particularly the coming of something having great importance. Advent season, then, is both a time of joy-filled anticipatory celebration of the arrival of Jesus Christ and a preparatory period of repentance, meditation, and penance. <clears throat> time of Advent. For denominations that celebrate the season, Advent marks the beginning of the church year. In Western Christianity, Advent begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day, or the Sunday which falls closest to November 30th, and lasts through Christmas Eve or December 24th. When Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, it is the last or fourth Sunday of Advent. Thus, the actual season of Advent can last anywhere from 22 to 28 days, but most commer uh, commercial Advent calendars start on December 1st. For Eastern Orthodox churches that use the Julian calendar, Advent begins earlier on November 15th and lasts 40 days rather than four weeks, in a parallel to the 40 days of Lent prior to Easter. Advent is also known as the Nativity Fast in Orthodox Christianity, that is, Eastern Christianity, denominations that celebrate. Advent is primarily observed in Christian churches that follow an ecclesiastical calendar of liturgical seasons to determine feasts, memorials, fasts, and holy days. These denominations include Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, and Presbyterian churches. Nowadays, however, more and more Protestants and Evangelical Christians are recognizing the spiritual significance of Advent and have begun to revive the spirit of the season through serious reflection, joyful expectation, and through observing traditional Advent customs. Remember what I said earlier? People are starting to reject the secularization. There's a big, because the more secular the world gets, the more marginalized the individual gets. And, we, and the individual is not respected by secularism. So you see, I told you, I, I mean, I was right because this is what I hear and, and this is what I see. People are feeling that life is becoming meaningless. So the more customs people develop, the more in a sense that it makes them stable. It makes them feel less depressed. Rituals, practices, uh, ritual practices, some may want to call it a cult practice. I don't like to use that word, but ritual practices can be 
you know, I guess categorizes cult by some people, but it's not. It's more religious observance. It gives meaning, prayers, practices, things that people find give them substance and meaning is what's important to them. All right, let's go on. Advent origin. According to the Catholic Encyclopedia, Advent began sometime after the 4th century as a time of fasting and preparation for Epiphany, rather than anticipation of Christmas. Epiphany celebrates the manifestation of Christ by remembering the visit of the wise men. And in some traditions, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, let me put, stop there. That both are considered Epiphany. The wise men's visit, which is a couple of days after, uh, a week after the Christmas, I believe, or it might be whatever the calendar sets it up. And then uh, the baptism of Christ, because it ends his um, private life and is the beginning of Jesus's public life. And, you know, that's usually, you know, what it is. And so it's also leading straight to Lent, by the way, which is soon around the corner comes Chris, um, Easter. So that's why. So the Lent season, season of Lent is going to arrive. All right. The baptism of Jesus. Sermons focus on the wonder of the Lord's incarnation or becoming a man. And at this, at this time, new Christians were baptized and received into the faith. And so the early church instituted a 40-day period of fasting and repentance. Later, in the 6th century, St. Gregory the Great was the first to associate this season of Advent with the coming of Christ. Originally, it was not the coming of Christ's child that was anticipated, but the second coming of Christ. By the Middle Ages, four, uh, four Sundays had become the standard length of the Advent season with fasting and repentance during that time. The church also extended the meaning of Advent to include the coming of Christ through his birth in Bethlehem, his future coming at the end of time, and his presence among us through the promised Holy Spirit. Modern-day Advent services include symbolic customs related to all three of these Advents of Christ. Many different variations and interpretations of Advent customs exist today, depending on the denomination and the type of service being observed. The following symbols and customs provide an overview only and do not rep represent an exhaustive re resource for all Christian traditions. Some Christians choose to incorporate Advent activities into their family holiday traditions, even when their church does not formally recognize a season of Advent. They do this as a way of keeping Christ at the center of, of their Christmas celebration. Family worship around the Advent wreath or Jesse tree or nativity can make the Christmas season all the more meaningful. Some families may choose to not put up Christmas decorations until Christmas Eve as a way of focusing on the idea that Christmas is not yet here. Different denominations utilize certain symbolism during the season as well. For instance, in the Catholic Church, priests wear purple vestments during the season, just like they do during Lent, the other preparatory liturgical season, 
and, and, and stop saying their Gloria during Mass until Christmas. Lightning an Advent wreath is a custom that began with the Lutheran and Catholics in 16th century Germany. Typically, the Advent wreath is a circle of branches or garlands with four or five candles arranged on the wreath during the season of Advent. One candle uh, on the wreath is lit each Sunday as a part of the cor corporate Advent service. Many Christian families enjoy making their own Advent wreath as part of celebrating the season at home, as well as the traditional structure involving three purple or dark blue candles and one rose pink one set in a wreath and often with a single larger white candle in the center. One more candle is lit each week of Advent. The Advent candles and their colors are packed with rich meaning. Each represents a specific aspect of the spiritual preparations for Christmas. The three main colors are purple, pink, and white. Purple symbolizes repentance and royalty in the Catholic Church. Purple is also the liturgical color at this time of the year. Pink represents joy and rejoicing, and white stands for purity and light. Each candle carries a specific name as well. The first purple candle is, is called the prophecy candle, or candle of hope. The second purple candle is the Bethlehem candle, or the candle of preparation. The third pink candle is also the shepherd candle, or candle of joy. The fourth candle, a purple one, is called the angel candle, or the candle of love. And at last, the white candle is the, is the Christ candle. The Jesse tree is a unique Advent tree custom that dates back to the Middle Ages and has its origin in Isaiah's prophecy of the root of Jesse, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. The tradition can be very useful and fun for teaching children about the Bible at Christmas. The Jesse tree represents the family tree or genealogy of Jesus Christ. It can be used to tell the story of salvation beginning with creation and continuing until the coming of the Messiah. Alpha and Omega In some church, uh, church traditions, the Greek alphabet letters Alpha and Omega are, are Advent symbols. This comes from the, from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This uh, quotation is taken from the uh, NIV Bible. All right. So, I think that was interesting, and I think it's something to... Uh, to take consideration. I think, uh, you know, I'm going to keep looking up these, these articles and, um, and I'll keep looking for some Advent sermons by the church fathers, hopefully. All right. So this is something to consider to do with your family. And I think all of these have beautiful biblical meanings, but there's also, I think these things tend to give people a sense of comfort. And I think, you know, how a lot of people talk about traditions and customs when they reflect back in their childhood after many years. And a lot of these things also help, I think, to keep people from feeling depressed, 
from feeling uh, lonely and it gives them a sense of hope. Uh, customs and traditions are meant to keep people grounded. And also it can help people find faith. They, they, they can be ben- uh, grace beneficial. You can receive it. It could be channels of grace, these customs. A channel of grace can help the person to not despair and not lose their faith. I think what's happening now is a lot of people are starting to realize how dangerous all this secularism is. I mean, they're changing everything. I mean, you got now where they want to change marriage. They want to change marriage customs. I mean, remember what Hillary Clinton says? Religious beliefs and customs must change. Yeah, well, she's not the authority. And the Great Reset is not the authority. And the progressive colleges and universities that want to tear down the past are not the authority. All right. They're not. And whatever they do, even let's say if they gain power and authority for a short time, it's going to fall apart because they, they cannot change human nature. They cannot change human. They cannot change what, uh, what God created. They don't have that power. They can persecute. They can try to impose it. They can torture. They can arrest. But sooner or later, all, like the Roman Empire or every other pagan empire, they're going to they're gonna fall to the wayside. And, you know, I think they're going to be less, uh, they're going to be more of a sign of warning for people to be careful of in the future. But anyway, so... Um, going to end it here um i certainly hope uh you know you consider some of these things i know uh it's kind of tough time for that but uh it's something to consider it's something to consider uh to try to practice with your family so anyway god bless and i'll be back with another one soon amen